Hello team and welcome to episode 408 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chloe Beeson. Chloe is a number one best-selling author of Determined and Dangerous, international speaker, multi-award winning entrepreneur and visibility expert. Chloe experienced a ton of success early in her life as a chartered accountant at the age of 21 and director by the age of 24. But all of that came to a sudden halt when she was diagnosed with severe clinical depression at the age of 25. After months of growth and recovery, Chloe knew she was meant for more than just the normal path and began her journey of entrepreneurship and her story and what she went on to do next is exactly what we speak about today. In this episode, you can expect to learn why Chloe believes that anyone can create their own business, income stream, and happiness, what opportunities are out there for entrepreneurs in 2023, along with whether women are really making progress in business or are they still a long way off. So without further ado, Chloe Beeson. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Elliot. I'm good. I'm really looking forward to being here. How are you? I am very, very well. Thank you so much for asking. I'm excited to have you on the show as well. When I came across your profile and got to know yourself a little bit better through my own research, it spiked a lot of curiosity and getting to know you and your story a little bit better. But for the listeners who may have not come across your name or your story before, can you give us a little context about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, great question. So my name is Chloe Beeson. I am a publisher. I've published 30 best-selling books for my clients. But my real story behind that was I was actually diagnosed with severe clinical depression when I was 24 and I had to leave the corporate world. I was burnt out and exhausted and kind of lost myself when I found out that I'd been depressed for a while. And that started me on my journey for starting my own business. So I'm a huge mental health advocate and I'm also a serial entrepreneur. So put those two together and it can sometimes be a recipe for success <laughs> and other times can be a recipe for some challenges. So that's a little bit about me and a bit of my story. So you are in the corporate world. How long are you doing that for? Because you're 24, right? And I understand that you had a fair amount of success leading up to being 24 but it's not an enormous amount of time to be in the industry before leaving it so what did that time in the corporate world look like and how did it lead you to being burnt out as well yeah do you know it felt a lot longer than it actually was so I my family couldn't afford university or college so I had to go straight from school to work so I was 18 fresh-faced just super excited to get into a job and getting paid and prove that I could still get loads of results and so I just threw myself in there I became a chartered accountant which I'm nothing like now you know when people give me numbers I'm like please don't ask me to do anything finance related um but I did that and I was a chartered accountant by the age of 21 and I was just like addicted to work like it was my life I didn't really do anything else everything even my social life was through work and so because of that I then managed to achieve quite a lot at quite a young age. So I was then, so I was a manager and chartered accountant by 21. And then I was promoted to a director at 24. I was 24 years old. My goal was actually to be 30 and have a business card that said director. So when it happened when I was 24, I was just in shock and also extremely grateful. And it was just constant addiction to push, push, push energy and really just get the best results that got me there. It's funny though, when I think it's only six years, Elliot, because it felt like 20 years I at the time yeah. with the amount of my life I, I gave to it. Especially when you think about, I always look at this when people are like, yeah, you know, I go and work my nine to five. I do 40 hours a week, which is very, very common to hear. It's like, well, how many hours of those 40 do you actually work? You know, and do you think about 
real focused and intentional work, which you probably find as a business owner and an entrepreneur where, you know, every single hour that you put in goes back to you in the same sense. And then there's many people who work for companies and they work in jobs where, you know, it's a little bit of work here, a little bit of work there. And then you actually add up the total numbers. So if you are genuinely dedicated to your work and you did those 50, 60, 70 hours per week and you genuinely were intentional about them, it probably was the sum of maybe, you know, 10 to 15, maybe even 20 years in work combined with what people would typically do if they didn't really care too much for their job or they were just kind of looking for it as taking those stepping stones but in no rush at all so I can imagine that was the case as well so you know you have an abundance of success you get directed by 24 then where does it all go wrong with your mental well-being to be honest I got to that position I still remember being sat at my new desk director and I had those business cards that I always wanted and it said Chloe Bisson director and I remember giving it out to everyone I knew. I was like that weird person of all my friends, like, oh my God, look, I've got this success. And I remember within a few weeks being sat at that desk and yeah, all my family and friends were proud of me, but I didn't feel anything. It was almost like I expected this rush of great emotion. And then when it happened, I was like, well, what now? And it was that what now where it started spiraling. I didn't know that I was burnt out. I didn't know that I was depressed. I was completely in denial. And I actually had like a stomach ache. And I remember feeling sick every morning for a little while and just thinking, oh, I need to go and get my stomach checked. I honestly thought something health-wise was wrong. And I went to the doctors with my mum at the time. And the doctor said, Chloe, there's nothing wrong with your stomach. So that's good news. It's actually depression. And you've got severe clinical depression. You're severely depressed. And I remember using the word severe over and over and over and thinking, how can I be severely something and have not a clue? Because I was, and a bit of context, I was always the smiley, friendly person in a, in a room. I was like the most positive person of all my friends, of all my family. And so I was actually probably quite rude to the doctor, to be honest, because I was like, no way am I depressed. Like, you've got this way off. I just thought you were going to give me something for my stomach ache and it would all be fine. And it was only then when it started to unravel because I was so stubborn which got me part of the success anyway, was I was stubborn and then I eventually let it sink in. And I remember her saying to me, Chloe, I'm going to sign you off for the rest of the week. I'll give you a call on Friday and let's see how you are. And in that time, the denial just vanished and it was like, it just hit me. It just, everything hit me. Every emotion I'd hidden hit me. Every sadness, every pain, every challenge that I must have just parked to keep going. And it just, my whole, my whole thing crumbled. And that's, that's where, that's where the denial vanished and the depression kicked in. Yeah, I can imagine. And with that being said, where do you think your life would be now? Had you not gone into the position where you went to the doctors, get your stomach checked out? Where do you think you would be now? Oh my gosh. I would hope something else would have woken me up if I'm really honest. But if it hadn't, I probably would have thought it was a problem with my job. I'm not satisfied anymore, probably would have changed jobs, probably would have changed relationships because I would have thought, oh, it must be something there. Gotcha. Probably would have just changed everything around me because I think a lot of people do that, right? We, we don't look inwards, we look outside and go, I need to lose weight or uh, this person's not right for me, this job's not right for me, my friends don't understand me, family, and we push outwards when actually the problem's within. So I probably would have looked at fixing all the external. Who knows, I, I would I have started my own business? I'm not entirely sure I wanted that anyway, but... I definitely wouldn't have got ever sought help unless someone had probably sat me down. Maybe my friends or family would have given me a bit of an intervention. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? And obviously, next steps were you realizing that genuinely you were going through that severe depression. And, you know, we're only six years later and you're doing all the things that you wanted to do and you are thriving in them as well. So 
What did it look like in terms of your road to recovery? It sounds like it can't have lasted too long based on all the things that you've done thereafter. Although at the same time, even if it only lasted a year, you know, when you're in a bad position mentally, it still feels very, very long. So what did that process of recovery look like? Did you kind of take stock of your life? Did you leave your job immediately? Yeah, everything sort of happened very quickly. So that Friday, the doctor called me, I broke down and she signed me off straight away for months. She, I can't even remember the exact amount of months, but it wasn't like a week. She was like, you need time. And she just blocked my 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 time off I had to call my employer and so I ended up being six months off work and unable to work and that was a bit that hurt because it was like I'm so fit physically but I wasn't mentally fit and it was that to me felt more embarrassing so I then had a complete breakdown I had already left one of my I was already left in a relationship and that had already gone quite bad but I then lost most of my friends because I wasn't socializing I wasn't going out and about everywhere and I went on a complete like the t- the typical journey that you hear a lot of people do like s- total self-discovery funny story my auntie's actually a life coach back then I didn't know that was a life I didn't know what she did I was just like oh she speaks to people every day like I didn't really understand it and so when this all happened I sought help with the doctors through uh, therapists and psychologists, but the waiting list was so long. I think I was on private insurance. And it was still like eight weeks or something. It was mad. So my, my auntie was like, I'll help you. And I remember being like, you're not a psychologist. And she said, I'm similar. Let's have a chat. So she came over and she just gave me all of the tools. It was like the wheel of life, my values, my beliefs, everything possible that life coaches have in their toolkit. She took me through. So that massively helped. And I just started peeling back the layers. And I remember when she said to me, Chloe, what are your beliefs? And I kid you not, Elliot, I looked back at her and I was like, what a stupid question. What do you mean? What are my beliefs? And she went, I'm asking you, what are your beliefs? And I went blank because I'd never actually had the chance to find my own beliefs. I just encompassed everybody else's, you know, family members, colleagues, managers, businesses. I was just trying to be everything to everybody else and not really connect with myself. And so that was just the journey. And then when I went back into work, I won, I wasn't the same person. Nothing fueled me anymore. It was like, there was so much more to life than the tiny little piece I'd been looking at. And then the company had done so much restructuring while I'd been off that they actually didn't need my role anymore. So after a few weeks of being back, they then made me redundant. So some would say that was a blessing. To be honest, it was, I went then when I felt a bit lost again, because I was like, I've gone on this whole journey of, you know, self-discovery and everything. And now I've got this extra challenge. And that was the catalyst, the breaking point for me, because the doctor, I went back to the same doctor and she said, look, Chloe, maybe you should just have some more time off. You know, it's not that long. I can sign you off again. You can live on benefits, you know, just rest and just have a little bit less stressful life. And I was 24 and I remember thinking, there is no way I'm ready to like give up. I I don't think it is giving up now, but at the time it felt like it. And that's when I was like, no, no, I need to find a different way. And so hence my journey started on not going back to a job, not going back to the corporate world and starting my own stuff. Yeah, it's super, super impressive, that whole journey and all the different ways that life led you in that direction as well. I always think that, you know, we've got this idea in mind of where we want to go. And sometimes there's oftentimes where there's obstacles that come in our way. And sometimes it feels like everything is preventing us from going there, yet we still stay strong. And there's other times where, you know, the path just seems to clear its way for you as well. And it seems like it was 
a little bit of both to be completely honest in that sense yeah. and it's great that you were able to take those next steps towards what you truly wanted to do as well and how did you manage the identity piece during all of that as well because your identity was so tied up in being this quote-unquote workaholic this person who wanted to achieve director by 30 and was able to do it by 24 and all of a sudden you're now signed off work at home and then you're made redundant from a company and I'm sure that you know you loved being there at the time how did you navigate the identity transition which you surely had to go through during that time yeah it was terrifying to put it to put it nicely I didn't know who I was because Mm. everything I'd worked for from the minute I could remember was success, achievement, qualifications, results. And so to then go, there's something really surreal about not being at work for six months and still getting paid, but also then like not feeling like you deserve that money and not feeling like you've earned that money. It's a really weird feeling. And then to go on and not to be a director, which is essentially the highest I probably would have got in that company and be seen and uh, admired, if you will, by loads of people around me, particularly in the job in the same company. It was a really weird thing because I lived in a very small town and I remember walking around and like people looking at me and being like whispering or, you know, people like, are you okay? And looking at me like I was damaged. And I'm like, I'm not damaged, I'm just sick. Like I'm still me underneath, but I didn't know what the me underneath was anymore because when I started peeling back the layers, I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not in a relationship anymore. So I'm not the girlfriend I'd been before. I'm not in the corporate world anymore. I'm not a director anymore. So I haven't got that layer of me anymore. And it was almost like I then found this other part of me that I'd never found before, but it was so strange. It required a lot of journaling, a lot of processing, a lot of therapy, a lot of talking. And then also looking at and going, who do I want to be? Like, it's like starting a new level in a game and being like, right, I can start again. And I'm back at level one. What do I want it to look like this time? which not many of us ever get the luxury of ever doing. No, and not only that, but you get the luxury of doing it with all the learnings from the first level as well, right? So it's great that you're able Mm -hmm. to make those choices of like, what did I not like about round one or level one of this game? And how do I want to transition and bring those learnings into a level two? Yeah, it's amazing. It's like you got all of those upgrades to begin with. And obviously, you know, some challenges (laughs) along the way, but ultimately that gave you the lessons that you needed to start level two as well. And now I'm curious about obviously you taking the path into entrepreneurship starting your own business you mentioned you're a serial entrepreneur you've published 30 books as well like that doesn't sound like you're slowing down whatsoever Chloe to be completely honest so why (laughs) is it any different for you to be doing all of that plus starting a podcast as well compared to what you were doing in the corporate career that you were just you know six years ago yeah I would say it's the reason behind it so when I was in the corporate world I was doing it for the satisfaction and the success and the achievement and all the external validation pieces and not a lot of internal validation. I don't think I ever checked in on myself and thought, do I enjoy this or do I want this? You know, it was like get in a relationship, buy a house, get a job, get a promotion. There was like, I was like ticking every box, but not checking in and going, am I happy about that? Am I celebrating it? Whereas now you're absolutely right, Elliot. I still go at... <laughs> a very quick speed and in my team and my business partners we have a bit of a joke it's Chloe speed and when you have business partners and team members you have to remember not everyone has the same speed (laughs) so it's like you have to sort of slow people down a little bit or slow me down so that I slow down around them but this time it's different because I'm doing it because I love what I do and I'm doing it for the freedom and the lifestyle that I want so I don't work 60 hours right now I work about 40 hours and even that is is when I'm at full capacity. 
So like yesterday, my partner was off work and I was like, well, actually, I've cleared most of my diary anyway because I'm ahead of my work. Let's just take the day off. And I would say that's the difference now. Yes, I've got a lot of projects on, but I'm also in complete control over them. So if I want to slow them down, I can. If I want to scale the business, I can. If I want to take a pause and go, we're not taking any more clients on, we can. And then it's in my control. So I can still prioritize my mental health, my happiness, my enjoyment, fulfillment and everything else. So I definitely do still love the challenge. I love thriving and I love succeeding, but I also love resting and having days off and enjoying the benefit that comes with it. Yeah, that's the big, big difference between the you now and the you before. It's like you're way more well-rounded. And what I like about that as well is that sometimes we think that if we become more well-rounded, if we open ourselves to other things in our lives, it's gonna take away from us being successful in the domains that we want to be. But I think it's been quite the opposite for you in the sense that it looks like it's way more sustainable. And rather than being motivated by a push of, I must be this, and these are all the kind of, ideas and mindsets that other people have put on me I don't have my own values I don't have anything that I believe in right now right now you're very selective and intentional about those things and when that hard work comes in you know what it's truly going towards and how it sits well with your values and the things that you've chosen for yourself and also you have the opportunity to slow down at any point as well and I think that many mm -hmm. times when it comes to any any type of endeavor in life anything that we're working towards or where we want to be successful it's not even the sense of having the option to yeah it's not even quitting the thing or it's not even taking a different path it's just knowing that you don't have to right like that sense of freedom that you mm -hmm. have of like you're in the corporate world it's like well I can't take a day off because of you know it might impact me from getting my promotion you know I'm never going to be directed by 30 I have to go 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 there's people's expectations on me but right now you're able to say well actually you know I love what I do but if I do want to take that day off like you did yesterday I can do it and it doesn't make a big difference in the grand scheme of things I'm still going to be able to succeed in my goals and I think that that just creates an enormous amount of like liberation and freedom would you say that that's fair to say 100% yeah and it wasn't and it, it wasn't and isn't from my experience working with others a straight thing from being trapped in the job and not being able to take the time off to now running your own business and taking the time off. I went through a whole middle phase, which was the guilt of, but I'm running my own business. I can't have time off because if I don't work, no one else will work. And then when you've got a team, there's another layer of like yesterday, I'm off, but my team aren't. And that doesn't seem fair because they're working for me. So shouldn't I be in the office as well? And it took me years of overcoming that guilt so that I didn't feel like because my team are working, I should be working because I'm also working on weekends when they're not working or I'm working in evenings if they're not working. So it's definitely not a one size fits all. And it was funny when I when I told my team this week that I'd take Wednesday off, a couple of them actually like clapped. They were like, yes, this is good. This is gonna be really good for you. And it was they're almost like supportive <laughs> of it. One, I was like, do I need it that much? Is <laughs> that you're all, you know, really applauding it. Um, but actually it's just about finding the right people to support you on that journey and knowing that a lot of people go into entrepreneurship and they just have a really bad job because it's just working more hours, getting paid less. You're your own boss, which means you're giving yourself way too much work and it ends up being quite exhausting. So I find what a lot of people do is we end up going into an entrepreneurship, but actually just having a worse job than we did 
in our previous careers, if you will. And do you think entrepreneurship is for everyone? Because I know that I read a quote from your website that says that Chloe believes that everyone has the ability to create their own businesses, to create their own income streams, and of course, create their own happiness, happiness as well, I should say. So do you truly, truly believe that everyone should or can, maybe there's two different questions there, create their own businesses, should take that route of entrepreneurship? Because by what you just said there, it might be that some people are very, very happy in their jobs and in their career. Well, not so much that they're happy and you know fulfilled at the time, but that might be a better fit for them in their lifestyle versus entrepreneurship, which brings uncertainty. It requires being your own boss. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, yeah, great question. So I do believe that everyone can be successful in having their own income streams, but I don't think not everyone needs to do it as an entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is I didn't know this at the time because I sort of fell into entrepreneurship, but there are so many ways that we can have income streams that don't have to be attaching ourselves to a business. You know, we could have products that we we sell or rent. It doesn't have to be like delivering a service. So for me, it's all very service-based, which means we need people there, which means if my mental health goes one day or have a bad week, that can be a risk for the business. I now know everyone can create their own income. It just doesn't have to be through entrepreneurship and not everybody has got that hunger for entrepreneurship or the resilience we can learn it i definitely didn't have the resilience like i i'm probably one of the most emotional entrepreneurs that are out there like if anybody has a down moment or a wobble it is me and i'm very very transparent about that because it's not always sunshine and roses it's really not and the downs can be down and can be hard but i would say not everyone has what it takes to be successful as an entrepreneur but everyone has what it takes to have their own income it doesn't have to be in a business it could be through property it could be through stocks shares trading like there's loads of other ways of doing it and i'm they're not my expertise but what i love with myself and my and my team and my friends and my family is knowing that everyone can have their own income and they're not relied on just one source which is a job where we might get made redundant like I did or our mental health might drop like happened to me. It's having that sort of more risk averse approach to say we can control our income in different places provided you've got the skills and the strategies to find where lends itself best to your skills. So in terms of someone wanting to take an entrepreneurial journey, what type of steps would you encourage them to take and where do they go in terms of starting their own business, if not multiple businesses? So the first thing is find something that you're passionate about and you have the strengths and skills in. So there's two things there. We've always got to love what we do and love have a topic we're passionate about and that we're good at. So for example, if you're good at creative maybe you like to paint or you like to draw or you like to edit videos and you have the skills that you're good at it as well then that's a great recipe for a great business so that or, or being an entrepreneur I should say so that's the first step is it's got to be something you're passionate about and you've got to be good at it when you've got those two things then you can think about it how do I feel about making money from this now no one ever asked me that question and it's something I ask all my clients I work with no matter what project I'm working on or what business I'm working with them in whether I'm writing their book with them whether we're getting them in the media or doing their marketing a lot of people don't think about how it will feel to get paid to do it a load of people think oh I love doing that and I'm good at it why wouldn't I get paid but what we don't think about is that sometimes getting paid for something because we do it a lot can actually take the fun out of it. And so I'm always very cautious if somebody says, yeah, that's like my favorite hobby. I'll always say to them if I'm coaching them, okay, great. How would you feel if that hobby was actually your work full time and it was no longer a hobby? Because what people don't realize is that it can take away that sometimes. So it's not necessarily we don't do it. It's just 
is that the only thing or do you will you have other things you'll enjoy outside of work because you want to have that balance so the first step is always passion and strengths and abilities and then making money from it if you can find something that you're good at that you love doing and you're happy to make money from then that is a fantastic recipe to start your own business or create another income stream i like that a lot and do you think there are any maybe untapped in business ideas in 2023 that you're thinking you know if i had the time if i had the bandwidth or maybe you were going to you know attack that side of things at the back of the year you would go after but it's just maybe not the area that you have a passion in is there any ideas that you think ah this would be such a great idea for someone to go down the route of oh my gosh i get ideas all the time and in fact my business partners get ideas all the time that i then have to arrange and say no no put that on the ideas journal or put that on the imagination list at the moment we are currently working on two other projects, but I've parked them until 2025 because I'm like, I'll pop if I put on any, if I take on anything else. Um, but for me, I, I love the idea of content repurposing. So like, for example, having a podcast, having, turning that into a book, having a book, turning it into an online course. There is so much untapped potential with digital assets and online like this podcast, for example. Um, and so one of the things that we're planning on is creating a studio that we can create those in for our clients because I write people's books. We create their online courses. It just makes sense. Um, that's probably not that new and untapped. I think a lot of people are doing it. They just might not do it the way we would. So that's one area that I definitely think that I'm excited to get into. I love running retreats. I would love to run a retreat for, you know, podcasters or people who have personal brands that want to scale them, you know, have a recording studio, record some videos, you know, sit on a beach, enjoy the afternoon, that kind of stuff. I've done a lot of retreats in the past, Elliot, but not of that sort yet. So <laughs> watch the space. Yeah. And it makes sense because the type of people who want to build their personal brand, who are podcasters, for example, they don't have a team. It's a kind of a lonely space. And, you know, you get people in your network here, there and everywhere, but the chance to actually connect with them is a different story because of everyone's so busy doing what they're doing. Right. So to have an opportunity where you're kind of in that environment where you're able to decompress, but you're also able to get something productive out of it from the perspective of the recording and everything along those lines sounds very very valuable indeed and i'm curious just for my own interest uh, as a purely selfish question so apologies for the listeners here how would you repackage a podcast into a online course for example i don't see the direct path i'm interested oh good question so it depends it does depend on your type of podcast so if you're working on a health and fitness podcast there could be snap you could maybe go through say the last 20 episodes and see where there are similar themes so let's say there are let's say there's a module on mental health you could go through and repurpose tips from each person. So there might be the top 10 tips to um, improve your mental health. And you've got snapshots where you will record an intro and say, hey guys, this is the top 10 tips for mental health. Uh, in this module, you're gonna learn from a load of different people I've interviewed. These are the top 10 strategies that have worked from these experts. And then you go to each one. But you as the podcast host would then create almost like an action after each one. So they make sure they take action because there's nothing worse than an online course that is just content and no action. So that's a tip for anyone that's creating an online course. There's got to be an element of implementation. So maybe at the end you say, right, which were your top three strategies that you're going to try this week and share on social media? Or if you've got, I don't know, a portal they can upload homework to or whatever, what, what, what sort of steps have you taken? Maybe you add in some sort of additional templates they can download that support the tip that that person gave. That's what I would do. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. It definitely makes a lot of sense and it's a good idea to be thinking about. And now I want to transition onto if someone has enough self-awareness to maybe recognize that actually, you know, entrepreneurship maybe isn't for me. And, you know, I like the stability of my job and my income. I like my colleagues, etc. But I wouldn't mind diversifying my interests a little bit and not putting all my eggs in one basket and maybe having something else that generate income. So where does someone's start with not going down the route of uh, entrepreneurship, but they go down the route of generating multiple income streams. The key is self-awareness like you touched on there earlier. It's got to be, people have to know their strengths still. So for example, you might not have a passion to start a business, but you might still have passions about other things. So maybe you love certain brands. Maybe you could then look up them on the stock market and invest in them. If you use the brands and you love them, then maybe that's a great way. Again, comes back from passion. Then look at your strengths. So if there are things that you're great at and things you're not great at. So for example, me and my partner have a property company as well. My, despite being an accountant, I'm not a massive fan of numbers and spreadsheets and all that sort of stuff and doing deal analysis. Whereas he's great at that. He's like the most detailed analytical person I've ever met. So I will be going and looking for properties and going to meet the estate agents because I'm quite a good communicator. As you can probably tell, I can talk a lot. So I'll get to know and build connections while he's the one doing the deal analysis because we know our strengths. So that's another income stream for us, property income. So there are lots of different ways of getting income. So to chunk up for people, if you are in, in a job right now and you're happy there, stay there. If it's not broken, don't fix it. So I recommend staying there and then looking at other options. So the goal is to have diversified income. So have money from different places. So maybe look up, find some online courses or find maybe some YouTube videos and you know what other income strategies do I have? Don't just go for the first shiny object. There will be loads of people that will tell you you can get rich quick on XYZ strategy. There will be loads of people that will tell you that you only need to put a pound in and you'll get a million pounds out. Um, and that's my opinion. It's a bit direct. And I know sometimes it's rubbed a few people up the wrong way. But if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. So what I usually recommend is just do some research first. And there'll be some strategies where you're like, oh, I love that. And there'll be others where you're like, no, nah, that doesn't feel like me. Sometimes people love investing in stocks and shares and leaving them there. And 10 years later, they're making them loads of money. Other people might have, might prefer property and go, do you know what? I'm going to buy and rent out a property or I'm going to do holiday homes or I'm going to do, you know, Airbnb or booking.com have hotels on there. It's all depends on what you're passionate about. But my biggest advice is if you're not passionate about it, I wouldn't recommend starting there because if it's already a chore or it's not something you enjoy, the last thing you're going to want to do is check on it, look at how it's working, research it and actually implement it. For sure. I think that's a really, really solid advice. And I want to transition onto passive income now. A lot of the things you mentioned seem like passive income, but I think realistically, you know, having your own property, you know, hosting through Airbnb and all these type of things, they can be kind of made if you outsource enough to be relatively passive, but they're not necessarily passive sources of income. So do you have any ideas for someone who says that I want to just focus on passive income where realistically my, I might put some upfront work in, but I let go of all of that work eventually and I just let the money roll in essentially. What are your thoughts on passive income and anyone who has the ideas behind wanting to create that form of income for their lives? Yeah, I'm going to be really honest and it might not be what everyone wants to hear. I don't actually believe passive income exists. Ooh, so you can obviously have income that comes from places that places that come from things you've set up at the beginning and then money rolls in, as a lot of people say. However, 
things often change. Where I think a lot of people go wrong is they focus on a passive income strategy and expect to just be hands off for the rest of their life. But usually mortgage rates change, properties go up and down, somebody might wreck your property that you just never know. Even if people say to you it's completely passive, usually it's not. So my advice is park that idea and just go ahead with semi-passive or semi-active, depending on your language, right? So go in, actually, I want a semi-passive income source. And then look at what am I prepared to do up front to get that passive nature back later? So it could be, um, I if you're not being, actually, I'm going to go with a different tip. If you're not active, someone else needs to be. So the reason why a lot of these are passive is because they have agents or partners or someone that's doing work for you. So my advice is if you really want to go with a semi-passive or passive income strategy, find the person you trust that's going to be the active party. Somebody's got to be active somewhere. So either that's maybe like for me, it's my partner, a romantic partner, trust each other loads. We communicate all the time, obviously, so I don't mind. Would I be as passive with someone I've never met or in a different country? Probably not. So think about who you trust that will be involved with you. Or if you're going to an estate agent or you're going to a, a business partner, maybe you invest in a business, that might be passive for you because you just put your money in and the money comes through every month. But do you trust that person that you're going into business with? I would say focus on who's the active party. Do you trust them? How can you trust them? Do they align with your values? And if that's all good, then you should be on track to a good semi-passive strategy. I like that a lot. So realistically, what we're saying today is that passive income technically doesn't really exist and someone has to be active in it. And it's kind of semi-passive income more so than anything else. Am I right in saying that? Definitely, yeah. Perfect. Well, it's a very interesting take. And I think that people will take a lot away from that as well. And I think it's nice to go in with that mindset as well, because even if it comes to a point where it is relatively passive, you know, things are working incredibly well, you're able to, you know, have a very, very small team or just one person doing a lot of active work, and they are very, very diligent with their commitments and their job. And it does end up making you a good amount of money very, very passively, like best case scenario, right? But better to go in with the mindset that you're going to have to do some work first and then be pleasantly surprised than be disappointed off the bat because you didn't realize how much it would take. Exactly. Yeah. And also the, the person that is active instead of you, you know, they're also a human being. So who knows what they might happen to them? They might have personal things. They might have life changes. They might change their mind. So it's just about being fluid, I think, and not being, and being ready for whatever happens. And if you can just go with the flow and just enjoy it while it's working and then just be prepared for if things change. Absolutely. And layering on happiness on top of this as well, how can we get to a position where we may be starting our own business, we have multiple sources of income, and as you know, we've alluded to within this conversation, it requires you to be pretty full on, it requires you to make certain amounts of effort, sacrifices, etc, in order to make something succeed. How do we layer happiness on the top of this to make sure that we are very, very well rounded in the things that we pursue in our life, you know, our relationships, our health, all the other things that life has to offer whilst, you know, running a business and also having plenty of different streams of income as well. Mm. Happiness is so subjective. And a lot of people think I'll be happy when, and they want to get to the outcome. And I'm sure you've had this before. Happiness is not the destination, it's the journey. And so I always say to people, put happiness, sprinkle it wherever you can. So there will be days where you have fantastic days and happiness comes easy. There will be days where you don't. 
Either your boss in your job is an idiot and you don't have a great day, you might have a grumpy email, or when you run your own business, you might have a complaint or a refund request or someone doesn't turn up to work. You know, we all have those days. My advice is to sprinkle happiness wherever you can. So the easiest way, spend time doing what you love. That's definitely one very cliched phrase. Or also spend time not in your work doing what you love. So make sure you have something outside of your nine till five or your business that you love doing that has nothing to do with your work. So whether that is going to the gym, doing yoga, going on, I wouldn't say holidays because they're as more um, infrequent, but like something you can do regularly. Maybe it's seeing your friends and family. Uh, Maybe it's painting. Maybe it's going for a walk in nature, doing something that you love that makes you happy. That's not connected to your work. So if you do suddenly want to have a day off or have some hours and you just want to cheer up, you can spend time doing that. But for me, it's a hap- it's actually a happiness habit. It's finding happiness in everything or as much as possible in what you do. And just remembering sometimes all you need to do is smile. And, and you know, that's quite ironic saying that from someone that's had clinical depression. But I'm not saying depression will be solved by happiness, but it can definitely help if you can just find little bits of happiness in your day in any, in any type of day. Yeah, I like that a lot. I really do. And I look back to my past a little bit more when I was a little bit more fixated on building my business and being quite one dimensional and, you know, a little bit robotic, so to speak as well. And then meeting my partner who's now my fiance and injecting more well-rounded activities and, you know, fun and happiness and all these different type of things into my life. And it completely transformed my outlook. And I always say to her, I'm like, I have no doubt I would have continued to be successful. I just don't know how sustainable that success would have been until I would have run into a wall. So it's a really interesting concept that you mentioned. It's like, you don't necessarily have to be in a job that makes you, you know, smile from ear to ear, but maybe you have a super amazing friendship circle outside of work that you love. You have hobbies that you enjoy doing and every moment that you're potentially doing something you don't love so much, you're doing plenty of things that you also do and that kind of rounds out the ratio a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. And also, even if you're doing something you don't do, like let's just deal with that elephant in the room because so many people have jobs they don't like and so many people run businesses that they don't like and they fall out of love with it. I'm not saying ignore that, fix it, obviously, try and do things to fix it, but some things can't be fixed quickly. So for example, I had a team member that was on maternity leave for three months. Now, I can't make that go any quicker and I didn't want to replace her because she's great. So I just took on the extra work. So were there three months where I was a little bit more stressed and a little bit more tired and not quite as happy? Of course there were, but I'm not going to, I can't fix it any quicker and I'm not going to do anything stupid either. So what I did was find things in the day I'm still happy about. So even if you don't like your job or you're stuck in a situation that you really don't like or a relationship that you really don't like and you can't find a quick way out, then find small things within that that you can be happy about because not everything is gray and dark and gloomy. It just feels it because the gray, dark and gloomy is bigger. But there are always little, what I call glimpses of hope. Like look for those. Maybe it's like a nice client says something nice to you or someone just smiles at you during the day and it makes you feel happy or you watch a video and it makes you laugh. Like just find small things and focus on those because it will hopefully magnify that and help it feel better. And do you think that there's a danger of potentially staying in a job that you 
genuinely do not like and that's not the best for you staying in a business staying in a relationship etc because you're trying to magnify the good things and you should be grateful for where you are etc or you know if i stop doing this business or whatever what would i be what will my life look like and continuing in a path that's actually not for you how do you know the difference between whether you just need to grind it through or genuinely this is not for me anymore Oh, there's a huge danger, Elliot, a huge danger. A lot of people can have what's called false positivity. I fell into this trap when I started my business because I was like, I should be grateful for powerful words, should, really dangerous word. Um, I should be grateful because I'm now working whenever I want and I run my own business and I should be grateful and I should have this and I should be happy. And we have this term that we use called false positivity where you just fake it. If you smile enough, people will think you're happy and you'll be happy. It's not true. And I do think there's a lot of danger there with that. So my advice with everyone is just ask yourself a really powerful question. And it's a closed question for a reason. Does this make me happy? And there are only two answers to that. Yes or no. Because it's a closed question. Does this make me happy? Yes or no. If it's yes then that's a very simple solution. Keep going. If it's a no, then unpack that layer a little bit. So does this make me happy? No. Okay. What about it? Does it make me happy? And that's when you can see, is this a short-term thing? Is it a long-term thing? Is it something you can control? Is it something you can't control? If you're not doing that, what are the alternatives? Journaling has saved my life on multiple occasions. And I just ask myself these questions and I, I just like peel back the layers and I just unravel on a daily basis. I unravel things. I'm like, am I making this bigger than it needs to be? Can I resolve this myself? Who else do I need to ask? And it's those sort of questions that you can go through that I journaled before I even knew that journaling was a thing when I went through my depression the first time. And I've now done that every day since because it just helps me challenge those thoughts. And sometimes just asking the questions, you might get a light bulb where you're like, oh my gosh, this doesn't make me happy. Why doesn't it make me happy? Because the job isn't what I want anymore. Then you kind of know what the thing needs to happen. So sometimes it's just creating that more awareness and asking those questions so you can get those answers out and then act on those answers. Yeah, there's so much power in asking those extra questions because of the situation that you had, for example, is like, well, you know, am I happy right now? We're feeling a little bit more tired, putting a little bit more work in. Okay, maybe I'm not super happy right now, but then you peel back that layer and you recognize, okay, well, the person's on maternity leave. So this is only a phase. I'm eventually going to go back to doing more things that I enjoy on a day-to-day basis. It's going to feel a little bit more sustainable in time. But right now I'm able to apply that perspective that okay it's not that I just feel tired every day well maybe even you know the fact that I'm tired every day because of I'm you know making a little bit more effort at work is kind of impacting my mood a little bit as well so I'm not seeing the world in the same lens that I usually do as well but only when you unpack that question do you get those answers so I like that a lot and I'm going to take a transition on to woman in work woman in entrepreneurial pursuits and I'm very very intrigued about this because it's something that you are really vocal about something that you're practicing at this moment in time and I'm gonna give you some context so stay with me on this story here so when people ask me about health and fitness and whether I see the world of health and fitness improving you know quite often I get the temptation to say yes you know I'm working with a ton of people I have so many active people within the podcast within my coaching and you know I see people getting healthy all the time having that impact on their family and all seems very very amazing in the world and then I'm sent some stats from 
X, Y, or Z place about, you know, the most overweight nations in Europe and how the, you know, the obesity rate is going up, the amount of people having heart disease and diabetes and all these different type of things are increasing. And in my bubble, because I'm working with so many people who want to improve their health and wellness, it seems like things are getting better. When I actually look at the stats, the reality is not the case. And I want to flip that into your industry in terms of women in work and women in entrepreneurial pursuits. And you see many, many amazing, you know, articles about women, you know, succeeding, who are owning businesses, who are CEOs in major companies. And this got me very, very interested. So I looked on the Forbes rich list, the current, you know, the real time list. And within the top 30, there's only three women within that list. And that means there's 27 men populating the other spaces. So I'm genuinely interested about how you see that progress. Like, do you think that we're genuinely seeing progress or is it that we're just more vocal about it? And where do you see this going in, you know, the next 30 to 50 years? Will we see, you know, an Eleanor Musk? Will we see a Jess Bezos, for example? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think these things are around the corner? Because when I look at the list, I'm like, the stats say that right now it's not the case. And also another observation that was very interesting to me is that the woman on that list, the two in the top 20 were over the age of 70. So there's another question in there about young women in entrepreneurial pursuits as well. So with all of that context, would you like to unpack what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, such a juicy topic. So quick answer, first of all, yes, we are definitely making an impact. A hundred percent can believe that. I just think it's not an overnight fix. So taking the rich list, for example, that's comparing men and women or comparing people and people. And so wealth is going to take time to build in the same way. A lot of people compare, okay, well, you know, we've got 10 directors in this global company and we've only got two women. Well, hang on, we need to have five. Well, no, not necessarily because they, women might not have had the opportunity to be educated yet to have the same opportunities at the bottom of the food chain, not necessarily at the top of the food chain. I think a lot of people want to make a quick fix with this. And I I always believe that it's not about the outcome. It's about the opportunity. So I don't think we necessarily need to have equal men and women on the rich list. I don't think we need to necessarily have equal men and women in boardrooms or equal female entrepreneurs as we do male entrepreneurs. I think the difference is having equal opportunity to create that. So as long as women are having opportunities to go onto the board of directors, opportunities to make more money, to be on the rich list, opportunities to be in in careers that they want, that to me is the first step. I do believe when we get to 30, 50 years, 100 years later, I really hope that there is more equal numbers and women do have more of an opportunity and the outcome as well. But I think a lot of people feel like the outcome is going to happen fast and it's not necessarily the case because for a lot of women, they've been told they can't do it. They've been told they're not good enough. They've been told so many things. Women as a generally have been told a lot of things that they need to unlearn. And also there's another layer where a lot of women have a belief that they need to be masculine to get the result. I must be an alpha female to be good at this. And so there's so many behaviors in society and media and beliefs and everything. And actually, funny story, I was doing some research years ago for one of the books I was writing. And the majority of people that hold women back are other women because we've been trained for society that there's not enough space at the top or, you know, the most popular 
man or the most successful man can only have one woman. So everyone's competing. And so most women hold each other back. So I'm not entirely sure it's going to happen quickly. Definitely think we're making progress. And on top of that, if you go down biology and genetics, women, whether people like it or not, biologically are created to serve others. We're created to create life. We're created to nurture, to take care of, and to make sure that others are surviving. That's when a, a woman has a baby, for example. Their, their biological need is to make sure that baby is looked after and survives. And so it takes so much unlearning and reprogramming for women to put themselves first and to put their career above that that constant nurture need, whether people say they're maternal or not, like my mom was very honest, she's not maternal at all. So she was so career driven and she loved having me, but it wasn't her vision. So not everyone needs to be this super maternal, super nurturing person, but even a tiny bit, women are natural nurturers. We're very empathic. And so it will take us a bit longer because we have those beliefs we need to unravel or we have those battling thoughts and needs so I, I do think we're making progress I think what needs to happen if I'm really honest is women need to start supporting each other more and not pulling each other apart and comparing because if women aren't supporting each other why the hell is anybody else going to support everyone else so I think that needs to change and I also think we just need to be a bit patient with it and as long as we're getting the opportunities and women are, you know, being given equal opportunity, whether it's in entrepreneurship or career or in property or whatever, then we can start to see the dynamic. So that's the long answer, Elliot. The short answer is 100% can see change. And I think similar to you mentioning the stats with the fitness world and health, and I just think the media is going to give us numbers they want us to know. Data so easily can be looked at and tweaked. And I don't want to use the word manipulative, manipulated, but we can read data in any way we want. And so I think I'm very clear of staying away too much from what research and studies show, because I don't necessarily think they are showing the best thing possible. So for example, we talk about mental health. A lot of people think that there's, we're in a pandemic at the moment because there are more people with depression than ever before. Yes, that is fact if you look at the data, but actually I also believe from someone who's had it myself, that doesn't necessarily mean more people are depressed. It means more people are talking about being depressed. And it means more people are actually opening up about it and reporting it. So I think it, there's there's got to be so much context when we're reporting these sort of numbers. Yeah, no, that's a fair, fair point. And it does bring you to start to think about these things when you start to see them. And like you said, it's like, is it really the case that more people are depressed or are just more people speaking about it and being prepared to be open about it? And ultimately, if they're more open about it, maybe it's one of those things that needs to kind of get worse from a number standpoint before it gets better. Because obviously, you know, it needs to go up because people need to start speaking about it. But ultimately, the more people speak about it, the more opportunity is for them to get help as well. So I see your perspective there as well. And in terms of if I was to give you this magic wand, Chloe, to wave and, you know, apply some magic on the progress of this situation as well, not the mental health, but more the woman in entrepreneurial pursuits. You mentioned obviously woman supporting woman is one, equal opportunities is another. Do you think there's anything else we can do to maybe not accelerate? Because I think that, as you mentioned, patience is a big key here as well. But is there anything else you would do to push, maybe even this advice can go directly to women to continue to you know, lay down this path for future generations to be fearless when it comes to pursuing entrepreneurial pursuits and everything along those lines and you know the young women of today are going to be able to look up and say okay well it doesn't matter whether 
it's a president that I want to be or a CEO that I want to be or a business owner I want to be. I can do that. What advice would you give to those people? And, you know, how would you wave your magic wand all of that? I would wave a magic wand and help people forget anything that's happened in the past because so many people compare to the past. I can't be the first female president because there's never been one before. Or um, I can't be the first CEO female on the rich list at 40 because there's never been one before. We're in a world now where, I mean, there are so many things that have not happened before, you know, even like pandemic, things like that. We'd never experienced that before. So we're in a world now where it doesn't really matter what's happened in the past. Just go with what you want now. So if I was speaking to the young woman of today, I'd be saying, focus on what you love and just believe you can do anything because there's no one telling you otherwise other than ourselves. So, you know, focus on you, focus on what you're looking at doing, what do you want to achieve and just go that direction, start taking those steps because that's where it will really happen. If we constantly think of what people have told us before, it won't happen. So focus on that. And if you do hear those words where I don't think you can do this or do you not think you're dreaming too big? Shouldn't you be doing this? Which I've heard many times in my career. My advice would be everyone is only giving you their opinions based on their reality and what they believe is possible, but their beliefs don't need to be yours. So for example, when I first became a director, loads of people were saying, you can't make director by 30. Well, I managed to make it by 24. If I'd have listened to everyone else, I probably wouldn't have. So just thank them. They're doing it because they love you. Those opinions are because of their reality. So thank them for that and just focus on yourself just because that that's their opinions that's what they know focus on your own yeah absolutely and it's just kind of undoing that conditioning that's been within the you know the framework of every single woman up until your generation to essentially be able to write your own story and i think that you know there's work that can be done with women who are maybe you know 60 70 50 40 30 years old to you know stop taking those steps and if not even if they don't want to go down the route of an entrepreneurial pursuit or anything like that just to kind of get their own mindset into okay i don't want to if this was my generation and this was the way that i was brought up at least what I can do as a service to the next generation is not reinforce that conditioning, right? And I think that that's the work that exactly. a lot of older people can do and maybe even, you know, pursue their own businesses if that's something they're interested in and then ultimately just, you know, pave the way and then just give people that ability to write mm -hmm. their own story. And I like what you said about equal opportunities as well, because I think ultimately, you know, equal outcomes is not the answer because of, you know, realistically, you doesn't matter who gets the opportunity as long as everyone gets it. Whoever's going to rise to the top in whatever they want to do is going to come down to who's willing to put the most work in and whatever those metrics need to be hit in order to get there. But the absolute thing at the end of the day needs to make sure that, well, can they get there? And if they can get there, then amazing. Then whoever wants to be in this race, whether it's five women and three men or 30 men and 60 or two women, it doesn't really matter as long as everyone's got that opportunity. So I think that's a really positive note to finish on. And Chloe, thank you so much for this conversation today. It has been fascinating. I've got two final questions and then we'll wrap up. And the first is, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> uh, similar to what you just said, actually, I just want everyone to realize they can write their own story. I My mission in life is to inspire others. And I realize that's by speaking, being very honest, being very vulnerable, sharing the pros and the cons, sharing the tears and the laughs. And for me, I really want to have that impact on the world. I want everyone to see that it's not always sunshine and roses. And then sometimes it is sunshine and roses and that you can have both sides, but as long as you write your own story. So that's, that's definitely the impact I want to leave on the world. Love that. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? Great question. So probably on 
social media. So I'm Chloe Beeson Official on all of the usual social media uh, channels. And as Elliot mentioned, I have just started my podcast, which is called The Inspired By Show. So yeah, do tune in if you're interested to find out more. Amazing. Chloe, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a fascinating conversation. No problem. Thanks for having me, Elliot. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.